today, Wendy and I will be welcoming Martin Reyes, Master of Wine and partner at WineWise, a curator, importer, and distributor of thoughtful and storied wines around the world. Based in Venetia, California, he will share his journey of becoming one of a little over 400 masters of wine in the world, roughly 50 in the U.S., and the first of Mexican descent. We're very lucky he's sharing two beautiful wines with us to taste, along with the incredible lessons he's learned along the way. Hello. Hi, Wendy. Today we are having one of my dear friends join us for our Transactional Love podcast in studio. Martin Reyes is here. He's a master of wine. And we're going to talk about life and how he got to where he is. Without further ado, we can dive right in. Yeah, and I will add, because we're here in person, it's a gift that we're in person. His shirt says, booze pays the bills. So definitely a master of wine. <laughs> um, First of all, I wanted to raise a glass. To yes, toast. yes. <laughs> let's do that. Because we're drinking yes. some sparkling wine. Yes, so tell, tell us, us about this. Yeah. This is a sparkling wine from uh, the Cremant, Cremant de Jura, and that is in the eastern side of Burgundy in France, a little known spot. And the producer is Stéphane Tissot. And he's a maverick, a wild man. Uh, he tends to follow minimal rules, and he's a darling of the natural wine movement, and uh, he doesn't take shit from anybody. He's one of our most sought-after producers. Most of this is pre-sold before he even gets here. He makes his own wines. In the spirit of uh, the wild world of wine and the fact that the spirit of the law, which is enjoyment and pleasure, takes precedent over the letter, I think this is a good one for us to toast with. Beautiful. Can we look at the label? Sure. People are listening in, but I'd love to talk about the art on labels can you pronounce that for us? Because yeah. I don't want to butcher it. Cremant du Jura. Beautiful. And uh, yeah, Tissot. So Jura, if you, it's near, not too far from the Swiss border. It's a minimalist label with serif font. So it's, it's very classic and traditional sort of feeling. And it's beautiful. It has some gold foil. I tend to choose wine through the visual rep- representation first, whether it's sitting mm-hmm. on a table that you're inviting friends to or a special occasion that presentation is part of the wine tasting experience and it happens before you're even able to get the aroma or the taste. I'm excited to learn, one, what a master of wine is for us novices because that is very different than sommelier, for example. How do you describe the work that you do? Yeah, I'll try to be succinct. Uh, I think you start with, with, we start with what people are most familiar with and that is the master sommelier. It's a credential. It's very well regarded. It is in the U.S. very well known. There's been movies around it and it's, seen as the hardest test of wine in the world. And that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this credential is different. The master of wine is more behind the scenes. It is more f- for a mastery of the industry as opposed to restaurant sommelier. So we tend to not be examined about how well we are able to present a wine or pour a wine or command a presence of a room. Instead, it's expertise, it's contemporary issues, it's trends, it's business, it's viticulture, it's handling of wine. So the shortest thing I can say at the very end is that if the master sommeliers are the movie stars mm. of the wine industry, the masters of wine, we are the directors mm. okay. of the industry. A bit more behind the scenes. I love that. Talk a little bit about the credential. What does it take to become? Oh, lots of years of studying, lots of years of writing, lots of years of tasting, and it's a multi-step process. It, it does have parallels to the Master Sommelier in terms of it being a very hard exam to pass. Uh, there's about 400 or so in the world. There's about 50 in the U.S. Wow. And I guess my only minimal claim to fame is that I'm still so far, unfortunately, the only Master of Wine of Mexican descent. That's incredible and inspiring. I'm as, hoping to change that. As someone who is of Mexican descent, I just am very proud to be in your presence and proud that you're representing our culture in such a beautiful way. Excellent, Norma. Thank you. I I love the film analogy because it is an art, so um, that helps structure your work. So, yes, what brought you to today? I got completely shit-faced in Paris (laughs) as a college student on wine, but it was a different kind. Were you studying this then? No, no, I was just a college student. What did you want to be when you grew up? When I grew up, I was still trying to figure that one out. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a plan. You didn't? No, I was just in college and that was it. What were you studying in college? International relations and music. Ooh, music. So yeah. And the buzz around wine. Now I look back and I say, I'm still there. I'm still drawing pleasure from wine of the place where I first fell in love with it, which was at at a dinner table with a bunch of students, lots of food, many courses, French cuisine, wine flowing, and just feeling this overwhelming sense of 
belonging, togetherness, a sense of community, deepening friendships. And what's funny is you fast forward to 23 plus years later, and I'm still (laughs) drawn to the same thing. Now, it's never really changed. So 9-11 happened right after I graduated from college, and I was a a high-tech recruiter uh, chasing the dollar. What did you go to college, just in terms of geographic purposes? Oh, I went to Stanford. Okay. So not too far from here. When you were in Europe, you studied abroad for that yes. period? Okay, in where? Paris. In, in Paris. Paris. L'école supérieure du commerce de Paris. Beautiful. Yes. I had a similar experience and it was eye-opening. It Ooh. was just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would like to hear more about that. I studied abroad in Italy and it was my first time out of the country except for Mexico. And I remember the culture shock in a beautiful way, the way you're talking about mm-hmm. of community and and how there's an art around meals. And yes, a lot of time wine was a part of it. And I was also underage, so didn't know how to drink <laughs> then like you. We had a very similar experience. Yeah, But it, I lived in Tuscany in a small little town in the old village. Tuscany being the wine region of Italy, you just learn how to respect it. Well, that reminds me actually what, you know what an elephant's favorite kind of wine is? What is it? Probably something Tuscan. <laughs> Dad jokes are one of his things. So he's really sweet when he says that he is not oh a leading actor in this play, or he describes himself as more of a director. It's probably true. I like that analogy, but he's like a Steven Spielberg. You yeah. hold a room, you have a presence, you enjoy holding that focus. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think all there's always probably a point where anyone, anybody who's listening who finds themselves inexplicably holding court over a small room or large room because they have a compelling story to tell yes and you might be shy you might back in you might back yourself into this corner where you're like everyone's listening to me and it was like wow what a great story and it's usually a story that's what and we talk we're going to talk more about that i'm sure here soon because of wine is essentially a liquid story but i think that's what it is wendy i think it's i don't mind telling a story i also find that you enjoy disarming people allowing people to become a little bit more authentic in their presentation and holding space alongside you. I think uh, talking about the master of wine and all of that comes, al- what comes along with that, let's face it, it's saddled with um, baggage of intimidation, the in-group, the out-group, mm-hmm. the snobs, the novices. Everyone has a relationship to wine around the idea of knowledge or lack thereof, right? Yes. And so it's really easy to feel intimidated or to want to and feel, to feel excluded. And yeah, exclusion, either you are in the group and therefore you want to be uh, exclusive or you're outside trying to figure out how to get in or you just say, fuck you to the whole thing. Right. And the last thing I'll say about that trajectory, because I know Wendy, you asked, no, Norma, you asked about that trip. By the time 18 years later, you become a master of wine and you relax. Two weeks ago, I went through an implicit bias training up in Napa. And what came out of that was that the only reason why I really pushed early on to, to get a credential that is recognized globally as the most prestigious blah, 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 blah in the world was because of, a, of insecurities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early on, Mexican, young, thin, young looking, modest height, all that stuff, didn't look the part of a wine expert, right? In a, in a, in a store or in a restaurant or whatever. And I was, I'd always feel like I had to over deliver to just stay on par. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's gender issues around that. There's race, of course. There's um, other, there's otherness right. always around that kind of thing. And <laughs> at the end of that session, I was like, I've now come to confess, admit, I say publicly, that the insecurity of trying to just have an initial after my name, this is years ago before, before you mature, was what propelled me to get there. Because then I can just get down to business and talk about wine. I don't have to prove myself anymore. Yeah. And I, do, I could do feel that way. And then we can look back and say, how can we help others achieve their goals within the wine career, within their their own wine industry. And that's where I'm at right now. Someone just last week said to me, you have to be credible before you become vulnerable. And that really hit home. Oh my gosh. That I think that was driving you. That deserves a toast right there (laughs) because we can all go ahead. Sorry. No. Yeah. It's exactly what you just said of, I don't have to prove myself anymore. I can now be me. And I think a credential does that. I think yeah. it, I chased a lot of the same things in my own identity. And I think all of us do is how do I become credible? Because once you do become credible, whatever that looks like and feels like on paper or off paper, then you could just be yourself and take off all the masks and take mm-hmm. off all the credentials that you got and just be you. Really just had this whole conversation with Norma. 
I would really love to try and create a world where yes. it doesn't matter as much because then there's not an in-group and an out-group. I think there's a struggle of belonging, not feeling excluded. It's, I think a lot of these systems aren't meant to exclude, but they do, institutions, universities. And I think it's good to remind ourselves, that at the end of the day, humanity is art. And art has zero qualifications, right? It's just human expression. But I think to apply art to life, to commercialize it, to create a living, to do all of that, when it starts to become the other side of it. Wendy, what you just mentioned a minute ago is striking because I definitely am attracted to that ideal. And I think when you say the right audience for the right group of people, it, sh- it shouldn't matter. And it doesn't. But there are certain parts of society or certain industries or certain which not only does it matter for the negative reasons why you have to quote unquote prove yourself, right? It also matters sometimes in areas in which somebody who wants to get into, break into a career into whatever it is, software or engineering or or, uh, medicine or or wine, this is changing, but there has been historically this perception that it belongs to a certain group of people only. And therefore, if you're not that person, that kind of person, then you feel unwelcomed there mm-hmm. and wine it's changing it's not perfect yet but for certain groups of people we did highlight the diversity of what is possible within wine whether it's ethnic whether it's cultural whether it is gender and we have worked on that two organizations that i either helped uh, co-found or help work with it is about diversifying the voices showing inclusivity embracing equity and so forth. So sometimes it does matter. I know what you were saying, Wendy. It sparks something in my mind to remind myself, y'all, if you're listening and, you th- and you're not sure if wine's for you because it sounds wealthy, it sounds prestige, it sounds bougie or sounds whatever word that you don't feel like you are, there is a wine for you. There's a wine culture for you. And I want to welcome anybody into this world because it's freaking awesome. When you talked about the culture too, the winemaking, we live in Benicia, all three of us. And we're so fortunate. We have you know, Napa and Sonoma and Sassoon right up the street. There's so many unique, there's hundreds, micro cultures, so much to learn from. And I think each of them, it's not just about the wine. It's the communities that are cultivating this. It's the culinary piece that you're pairing with that. It's this industry that's very service oriented and loving and welcoming it's, it's experience-based, yeah. which is one of the things that we always do. And the whole point is creating experience and sharing time and having community. And I think that any time that we create in and out groups, we are negating the whole yes. point of wine or that culture that we're striving to build. I think that's it leads me to this next question, which is something I'm curious about. If there was one line of focus that sort of gives you direction in all of your work, what would that be? Because you have several arms of what it is that you are passionate about in the wine industry. Wine is obviously at the core, but I also feel like there might be something that ties it all together for you. And I'm curious about what that might actually be. I think that, no, I believe, let me be more forceful. I believe that wine improves your quality of life. Number one, there's lots of things in the headlines these days about it, how it's not, how it's risky and cancerous and all that stuff. I encourage you to listen to my podcast around how we tackle that question. And it's going to be a continual subject matter. There's enough evidence out there for it to be, holistically speaking, part of a lifestyle. Part of a lifestyle, not the only one thing, right? Mm-hmm. But part of a lifestyle, part of a, yeah, part of a lifestyle, part of an energy around which you lead yourself to be more thoughtful with your meals, Mm -hmm. with your friendships, with your space, with your downtime, with your love, with your connections, with your communication, with your vulnerability. We're talking about moderation here, moderate drinking. A (laughs) glass or two of wine in the evening makes any moment more magical. You pull the cork and whether you're by yourself or whether you're with a loved one, it automatically lends a, an air of grace to that moment. And it says to that moment, whoever's there, hey, I think you're special. And we're going to pause and we're going to share a moment together. There is enough science around the benefits of a healthy mental overview of life. Yeah. 
the science around gratitudes, the science around belonging, the science around love, the science around friendships, the science about around purpose. How many hugs you need in a day in right. order to be healthy? The, yeah, I think it's eight, which eight. is crazy. Eight, eight hugs. It's eight hugs. I'm short three, right. so you're I'm, each I'm getting keeping. one for me before you leave because <laughs> I have a little wine in me. So you're getting all, all right. the hugs. I'm going to go for the huggular here. So, uh, <laughs> the huggular. <laughs> Uh, so it doesn't stray that far from why I fell in love with wine in college in that dinner to begin with. It's still, a, it was a seed. Now it's a deep uh, root and, yeah. and branches in a forest now. It's, that's where things start. And then once you fall in love with wherever you're at, being present around that moment, then you look around and you say, what's my purpose in life? Meaningfully, not cliche wise, but that, then what? Whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend. A relationship, whether it's your neighbors and so forth. And the part two that for that, this is the most challenging moment of modern history around climate change, really climate chaos, and around social upheaval and eventually AI too. We don't know what that's going to create soon, but AI notwithstanding, I think that wine can also be a vehicle because it roots us to the earth. It roots us to, there's no other consumable good that we have that makes us curious about where it comes from. Oh, that's a really There's good point. There's nothing else. That is a good point. Maybe coffee, maybe beer, maybe spirits, maybe sake. There, there's some well, things. Yeah, but like the farm to table yeah. movement that applies to all of those things. Yes, it matches perfectly with the farm to table aspect with culture movement. But even the farm to table, even when it comes to food, you get to hear about it. Oh, these cabbages came from this. These beets came from over here. This The cow mm. was raised over there. But do you actually go and visit them? Not necessarily, whereas wine is, there's a strong, powerful inclination to go and visit or to read or to study, to become a, a, a dilettante, a fan of learning these things. And the whole point of that is that my friend Catherine Cole, who's my podcast co-host and she co-founded The Four Top, she says in, wine is a, a gateway drug to environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to just pause here because I actually think that wine specifically, as you were speaking about it, ties us into this presence of being. And that's exactly what Philippa was saying in the last episode, where we're talking about the moment that she arrives at the chateau, the rest of the world drops away. And the moment that you arrive at a winery for a wine tasting, the rest of the world drops away. You're there for just pure engagement in the moment. And I think that we've created a story around wine being the way that you access that just drop out moment. But we could do it every day, right? We could do that at every dinner where we just set it all down and come back to the table and be present. Even if it's me alone drinking my glass of Chardonnay while I cook dinner, like it's that moment of just being fully present, not on my phone, not mm-hmm. worried about anything else other than whether or not I'm boiling my pasta too long. So true, there's the presence, whether it's yes. with others or with yourself. Speaking about being present, uh, you're going to hear, I'm going to pop open a second bottle, so that's the noise in the background. And I want to finish that, the thought about where we were going when we talk about th- when you're present, you feel everything around you, you're touch, in touch with nature, in touch with your paws, but then you're worried about climate and wine as a part of agriculture. Yes. The long arc of that story, and I don't want to get into it now because that's not necessarily what this is about, is the wine industry can also be an agent of change. It, it can be a carbon sink agriculturally. It can be a, a net carbon zero emitter. It takes carbon to, to grow vines and to make wine, but it also takes a lot of energy, whether it's heat or cold, often excessive extremes of both. And I think as an industry, we are looking to be more responsible, both mm-hmm. in terms of herbicide synthetics and so forth the organic movement around there that's an important thing that we're all we're grappling with and the intention around lightening your glass so less weight on in boats and planes and so forth i'm proud to be a part of an industry that is also trying to be responsible probably fed in part by the fact that we have this magical moment every time we drink a bottle and then we ponder how we can be better humans Mm -hmm. i was just to say i think it actually has a lot to do with something you sent me recently about being able to just be in full enjoyment of the moment and wanting to pass that on to future generations, allowing our children to have these experiences and making sure we fortify that opportunity for them through the choices that we make when it comes to the climate or 
making sure that certain people have seats at the table yeah. are seen and heard and acknowledged and valued. Yes. I respect where you've arrived, a place you didn't belong and found this belonging in a very beautiful way and you're representing so much that hasn't been. So I want to just understand who you are. Where yes. did you grow up? You grew up in San Diego. San Diego. And My parents were illegal immigrants. Where yeah. did they immigrate Chihuahua. from? Both Chihuahua. from Chihuahua, yeah. Your parents sacrificed a lot. and It's true. They, thank you. They had me elderly, and my mom, I was 90. And uh, so you're right. I think that I do owe, I feel more comfortable talking about them and how they brought me up. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the gift, for instance, of, of being bilingual. I spoke Spanish at home only, so that way my mom didn't never learned English properly. And I'm 47, so any people who are my age, we know how rare it is for the parents of the 60s and 70s and even 80s and earlier to not want to hold the original tongue of where they came from yes. to assimilate, to belong to the, the United States. And for whatever reason, the teacher, kindergarten teacher, this was in 1981, she was ahead of her time. And she told my mom, hey, he's going to learn English no matter what. So keep speaking to him in Spanish. And that sentence, that one sentence has had probably the most impact on me. So you went to high school, you took your experience at Stanford studying international relations and music? Yes. And what type of music? It was a minor in music and I was two classes short. It was composition, it was piano, Mm -hmm. and it was theory. Mm -hmm. Then you take a semester abroad and that's how you find wine Mm -hmm. to be such a seed of who you are today. Was there anything that gave you that clarity, that aha moment, this is what I'm supposed to do? I do believe that when I took that first wine job as a stock boy in a local wine shop two years after college, because of 9-11 and it wiped out the industry that I was in, the tech industry, I knew I was, in some ways, that path was rejecting Stanford because, oh, you're a cashier at the local shop. And the thing is, I do not want to ascribe nobility to any one particular career or industry. But I did feel like I was starting from the ground up, and it was okay. I think the one thing that can be said for going to a school like that is that it helps you say, okay, let's just, let me just learn all I can about this next thing and apply myself, throw myself at it, and eventually it's going to come out okay. So I knew that about the MW, the Master of Wine, the initials are MW. I knew that by 2004. I was like, okay, I think I want to go for that because then, you know, maybe I can make a career out of this. And that happened. And it was weird to have one of your biggest dreams come true. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about the flower shop too. It's, it's weird to achieve the thing that you strive for. Did you have the same experience that I did, which then is, okay, now that I've done here, I realize, I, now that I've arrived here, I realize that's just the beginning of the journey all over again, something else. You've achieved your goal and then you can use what you've learned to, no, 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 that was just part one. Yeah, I think for me, So I had always done boutique retail. So I knew I loved people and being Mm -hmm. with people. I knew that I wanted to have my own shop for all of those reasons, like just to have that engagement constant. Once I arrived at my destination, I did air quotes, I found that what I was actually there for was different. Mm. So it wasn't that now what's my purpose now that I'm here. It's, oh, this is a different dream. Uh. This is actually, my goal was what, it's a story, right? There's a story about achieving a flower shop that I was telling myself. And so I got there. And once I was there, it was like, okay, but that's not the whole story. So yeah, I'm curious about how we think a goal is the end, but Mm -hmm. really it's just another step. It's just another step. It's a chapter. Philippa talked about this too, is Mm -hmm. that all those chapters that she felt like she wanted but wasn't finding her joy really made her equipped for her actual joy, which was unveiled to her. And there's no way of knowing. You just almost have to trust whatever North Star you have ahead of you, whether it's a credential or a shop. Or for me, I felt like travel was a big thing, like Mm -hmm. what's going to take me to certain places and whatever North Star we're chasing, I think, leads us to the next North Star is my belief in, in life. Yeah. Whatever it is, when you get to your goal, you recognize it's just part of a journey. Mm-hmm. You fill in your own you fill in your own blanks in that. And it could be monetary, it could be familial, it could be a career, it could be giving back to the world, it could be that you want to learn how to cook better. 
And that is your biggest pleasure in life is to come up with amazing meals every day. And the the discovery, the self-discovery, I think is ultimately what we're all after. And I know that I've reached that uh, that level almost an annoying level of like absurdism right where none of this matters because we're the universe is billions and billions of years so what does it matter and then we go down that path of if nothing matters then you can choose how much your own thing matters mm-hmm. because you are both dust and also the world is made for you mm-hmm. at the same time so somewhere in the middle of that is where humanity lies dances dances and we grapple with that and so the questions around intentionality with wine, the questions around transactional love, the questions around what it feels like to discover and share and bring other people up with you. And then what's your own path, whether you're a parent or a friend or a, a loved one. That's, I think, the enriching part of this. And then for those who are just saying, I just want a glass of wine. What does that do for me? And why should I choose your wines over somebody else's? That's also a fun conversation. Yes. Teach us a little bit about that. We have this wide open world of so many different geographies and stories and cultures around wine. How does one choose for themselves? So I do think that's changing in part because two two things, two seismic shifts over the past couple of generations with wine. The first with wine production, winemaking, the first is that the, the overall average quality of every region and every price point has risen. In general, we're not fishing through stacks at the grocery store to look for a wine that isn't horrible and not just price but also regionality <clears throat> so countries that weren't known for making good wine or were la- the laughing stock they're making good wine now uh, as a whole there's of course always exceptions but overall i don't think that the the consumer is worried about am i going is this going to be crap or not it's am i going to like it or not but it's still soundly made wine mm-hmm. at every level so you have that as a shift a, a generation ago technology's there know-how's there in a way that we're almost fulfilled with at least a competent level of quality in our glass. When you're faced with that, both as a consumer and as a sommelier or as a wine buyer for a retailer, then you start to say, in that case, I've got plenty of wine coming my way to buy. The shelves are full. By the way, there's nothing else in the grocery store that has the amount of variety that wine has. Right. Nothing else does. Right. Like if you were looking at bread, you're only looking at like maybe 60 loaves of bread. If you're looking at wine, there's hundreds. And that's at a Grocery store. Mm-hmm. Total wine or KNL. There's actually thousands. Mm-hmm. Then I think also the new generation of wine drinkers, the new generation of consumers, people, they are also asking different questions. They're asking, what is your intention, right? What's the story here? Yeah, exactly. And that oftentimes, for, at least within the wine industry, is, and we're hearing this all over the place, which is, why should I buy this wine over that wine? It isn't about the, it's not that I don't care about the taste anymore. I expect the taste to be good. Now I want to ask about the farming practices about sulfite levels, about these intentions, about the story of the winemaker, what I want to feel connected. I want to hear, I want to see, I can visit. I want to see, I want to have this tangible or spiritual connection, right? I want to know the why, right? The why, exactly. That's fantastic. when, When we started talking, you were trying all of these wines and I was a happy co-conspirator in that process. And there was a bottle that we shared and I was like, who is this? Who is this? What is the story here? I need to know more about this bottle, this creator of this magic here. That's what is inspiring to me about wine. I will buy the same bottle over and over again, full retail price, right? Because one, I know that I like it. And two, I'm clear that whatever that message is that's being sent to me through that bottle of wine, I'm happy to receive it over and over again. Yeah, and you also have this respect for agriculture through your work as a florist and an artist that respects nature, right? And That's true. Every bottle is supporting a whole community of in- industry that is grappling with climate change. So I do believe in us being responsible in our consumption. And yes. the wineries that we support, are they supporting their communities in a responsible right. way? Right. I think... You said this a bit earlier, and I want to dig into it because I do think there is this culture that, you know, alcohol is bad and wine gets put into that in terms of health. Can you just break that down a bit? Speak to the health benefits of wine. One of the most compelling things that can happen in any experience is the is the paradox holding beauty and imperfection at the same time, being repulsed and attracted to something at the same time. 
having spicy and sweet at the same time, salty and bitter at the same time, right? And I think when we think about the fact that in pure chemistry terms, alcohol is a toxin, in pure, very superficial layman speak, and it's fascinating what it does to your body, but we won't get into that, but it is a toxin, at least on the surface, but it comes down to the dose and it comes down to the speed at which you consume it. And it also has plenty of reason to be called a tonic. Mm. It's a toxin or a tonic based on the dose and your environment and what you're having with it and who you're having it with. The reality is that if you aggregate all the studies out there, it's mostly negligible, meaning it's, it's equivocal. Most of the time you can find studies that show that it increases certain risks of cancer And you can also find plenty to refute that on both sides, plenty. And when you average them out, it is a marginal, it's like a minuscule, a minuscule effect on your life. Can you break down, because I've seen a lot of conflicting to mm -hmm. to your point exactly of here's the certain things that can make a wine healthier or just easier on the body because to socialize and be with each other and be present with each other, I think is magic. I actually think How do we that the health benefits are that part. Yes. It's the being together part. Yes. And that the wine is the uh, vehicle. Cattle. Yeah, exactly. The vehicle. And that if you're drinking a healthier, quote unquote, wine or even mocktails, that you get the same health benefits because the health benefit is not actually tied to the wine. It is hard to eliminate the social piece because it's important. Yes, Very important. it is important. Yeah. And I know no, no one is saying it's not. And Wendy, I think that's probably the, the heavyweight answer. <clears throat> But if you go back to just the alcohol in the glass. So it's the body converts alcohol into two different chemicals that makes it uh, benign. Mm-hmm. And it does it only at a certain pace. So if you're able to keep the slow pace, you don't actually get the toxic versions. I mean, there's fancy words, there's acetaldehyde, right? Which you don't have to memorize, which turns into acetate. But then that part's irrelevant. It's that there's a rate at which your body can process alcohol benignly. Mm. And that rate, and it is different for women and men. Right. I was just to say, it's different for each yeah. person. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Right. Different for multiple you pieces of demographics. Yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to yeah. know yourself. Uh, there's, certain en- there's certain enzymes that exist in your body, which your either your race your gender wine is a bit of of this it does play favorites some people can process it faster than others and getting a sense of your own rate yeah. of consumption is essential to be able to f- signal and flag okay what is my rate and it is about moderation if it's right. a glass an hour if it's a full bottle a night over four hours whatever your rate is it's important to, to recognize that and to and to sit with that and believe strongly that if you if you internalize moderation at your rate wine can only have a positive effect on your health on your lifestyle on your happiness i 100% agree i agree too i want to understand why i agree is <laughs> the reason for these well, questions yeah. yeah on the flip side this is why it's that's why it's equivocal on the headlines because it also is Alcohol in general is also what? It's addictive. Absolutely. It is a public health hazard. People can consume too much. It's it's easy for substance abuse. And so many people are consuming it that the stories of the substance abuse of alcohol are scary. That's the heavy brush stroke of alcohol is bad. When really what we're trying to accomplish is the nuanced answer, right? Being present and holding space and being accountable to each other and creating these special moments happen through wine. There's never been an experience in my life where I'm like, please pour me another gin and tonic because I want to feel this more. I want to be as present as wine always makes me feel. And I think that's the big difference. And to your point, each human's body is going to metabolize and make use of these different toxins or tonics, right? And it's up to us to be able to decide and utilize these tools in our toolbox. There are these different things that allow us to access different parts of who we are as humans and to broad stroke it is problematic. I agree. And I think your journey, what's really inspiring is creating, really carving out this path that hasn't been carved before, figuratively to represent a culture that hasn't been represented before. 
I just want to say the place of the Mexican in the wine industry is a migrant field worker. Yes. And that's not who you are. And I think that is this shining light in an industry that only sees a culture one way. And I'm impressed and struck often by the fact that it's inspiring for so many people you don't even know. You'll never meet. And not just this industry, but I think so many industries where anyone can feel underrepresented, underled, under anything, right? So what advice would you give that boy that saw that North Star and said you wanted to chase this accreditation? What advice would you give him maybe feeling fearful and maybe feeling like I don't belong here, maybe feeling all of these things, what would you tell him? I would first start by telling them the, the little secret that all of us have, and specifically in wine, and I've heard this from multiple people who are revered in wine, is that we all often feel like imposters. That's literally every industry on the planet. Yes, I'm sure of that. I just happen to be an expert in one of them. Yep. <laughs> and I have friends who are leaders and rock stars of wine that are far exceed my acumen and accolades are there are just like, hey, I, I sometimes wake up and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And it, in every industry, yes, but it doesn't feel that way when you're starting off or it doesn't feel that way when you walk into a natural wine bar or a restaurant and you look at the list and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I don't, I, whatever. And, and in that relationship that you have with the unknown, with the unreachable, unattainable, it's almost similar to that, that, that thought where you imagine everyone like on a stage or in their underwear and it demystifies them. or That's probably why I do dad jokes. So that way people are like, oh, he's just like nobody. He's just this goofy dude. So he's, I shouldn't feel like he's on a pedestal. I don't want to be on a pedestal. I want to be respected for my work and for my trajectory, but I don't want to be revered. I want to just be like, okay, cool. Like he's done a lot. That means he's worked hard. What's the difference between me and him? He's worked harder longer because he's older. That's it. So to answer your question, Norma, I would say that that's the first step is to accept that we are all a bit insecure. Mm-hmm. Even the ones who are your biggest heroes in whatever, in whatever industry it is, we are all insecure at some point or another. That gives you permission to then consider if they're insecure and they got as far as they did, then it's okay for me to, I, I can accept feeling a bit nervous, feeling a bit out of body experience, feeling a bit, I don't know what it is, but then... I give permission to move forward in however that career or that uh, knowledge or that glass of wine leads me down, whatever path that happens to be. I think that's step one. That's step one, and that's step forever. Yeah. You said something off, um, not off record, (laughs) but when we weren't recording, (laughs) that really stuck with me. You said being a master is a perpetual student. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. No, No one is really ever a master at anything. I can't think of anything specifically in which I will, I'll, I can say I'm unequivocally a master about that. There's nothing. The best master. Am Even I master? You are a master of wine. Like, by, by credential, yes. Right. That's the whole thing. So quote, quote whoever said this because I know it was a philosopher, but I don't know who it was. But the man who knows all knows nothing. How does it go? I yeah. just totally no. misquoted that. No, you got it. I think yeah. that makes you a master is just being open-hearted, open-minded, open to the world, right? Yeah, I, I think I want, I'm, I want to push back slightly on that verbiage only because, oh, A, I, I, I agree with it, but the way in which we phrase it is, in terms of knowing nothing, is more about the perpetual beginner, mm-hmm. the, the perpetual student, because that imbues that awareness that you have so much more to go with a sense of hope mm-hmm. and purpose. Rather than saying, I know nothing, you, I don't. I feel like I I don't know anything, genuinely sometimes, but as a beginner, as a student, what are they doing? They're, they're learning. And so imbuing that language with the sense of a student speak, with school or with a hobbyist who wants to learn how to build better model planes or art or crochet. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that's what I want to add, that I want to reframe that as a, as a perpetual trajectory where we learn. I also oh, think yeah. no, we there's need a to talk about this. Other I I want to say that uh, it was poor. It was popped. You heard it earlier, and it was poured. And I took a swig, and I was like, "Oh, what is this? This is fuck yeah." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sent me a picture of the label, and I forwarded 
to Norma. And I was like, there's so much to unpack here in this silly little label. There's nothing normal about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that I now know that's just you disarming yourself. That's all it is. So I'm like, because that was really bad. I literally didn't tell her about the dad jokes. I told her a lot about you before. That's awesome. I, I appreciate that. This wine, I think, is probably a good bookend uh, Bookend for our time together because it encapsulates a lot of things that matter to me and also matter to my business and to our company as an importer and distributor in California. So... I start with WineWise. WineWise is the company that my partner, Hiram Simon, co-founded in 1989. And now, how many years later, we are three partners, uh, Hiram, Elaine, and me. And we are proud to bring in, oh, between 80 and 100 wineries from all over Europe, except for Italy. I don't know. That's a whole different story. France, Greece, et cetera, and Germany. The producers are thoughtful in their intention. They're often, most of the time, family-owned, most of the time small, and most of the time ethically farmed and grown and produced. And they're just genuinely awesome human beings who happen to make wine for a living and who have a story to tell in these bottles. You sent me some videos of you visiting these wineries and... It just occurred to me that I haven't seen them in your social media at all. They're all internal. That's something that's really important to me as a consumer. And hearing those stories would pick that bottle off the shelf for me. Like, I wouldn't have to. We are. In the future, this will be the past. Isn't that the most obvious (laughs) sentence that I could have? Brilliant. (laughs) Taking notes. (laughs) <laughs> lesson number one in the future this will be it might the, be the wine but i was like oh my god <laughs> her, face, her face was crazy <laughs> this statement about the fact that we're looking to hire someone to be a part-time communication director expert who brings the stories to life in a way that we don't have the bandwidth for now we want to share these stories a bit more with our, our fans by the way even though we are an import distributor we don't technically sell to the public mm. And although you can say you can walk into any shop, maybe even the one in Benicia here someday and say, hey, do you carry any wines from WineWise? But what is the WineWise philosophy of the curation of the wines that you represent and choose to represent? Yeah, they're they are friends, first of all, they're families. We often see the kids who are little toddlers now, Mm. 20, 40 years later, grow up and lead the estate, manage the estate that their parents gave them and we're still working with them. So we have long time friendships with these producers. We're not afraid of, so we don't dive into just the classics, just Bordeaux and just Burgundy and just Champagne, although we have that, but we're also not afraid of the obscure. Mm. And there is a variety of wines that we have from all prices and all styles from Europe that really build this tapestry of experience around us. We have almost every kind of wine imaginable at every price point. And a lot of importers can say that. A lot of distributors can say that. And that's not necessarily unique. It's interesting, but it's not unique. What makes us, I think, growing, becoming unique is that we do tend to seek out wines that have the kind of story that doesn't end in an exclamation mark, but ends in a question mark. Mm. And that's what makes us, what makes these wines, in particular the one we're talking about now, drinking now, interesting. This guy here, he's got Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He's a German producer in the Mosul, a renowned region in the western part of Germany that normally is known for scintillating, crisp, refreshing, off-dry, or a.k.a. semi-sweet Rieslings that are made in a very classic traditional style that have been going on for centuries, right? That is not what we're drinking now. That's not what we're drinking now, no. He also makes a wine that is zero sulfur, more on the natural side, no yeast intervention, minimal manipulation, almost nothing. And it's fermented dry, so there's no sugar in this Riesling. And it achieves your dry January. Yes. It achieves your dry dry January. Like a dry sense of humor there. (laughs) And, and And it, it, it's like a, it's like somebody in the middle of this classic, staid, old-fashioned wine country making wines that just it, that are just whimsical, yeah. wild. Yeah, uh, Lothar Kettern, uh, Kettern, K E T T E R N. This is a, a bone-dry wine uh, that in partnership with a producer in, 
uh, and, and Portugal. The story itself you can, you can dive into, but the point is this is not what Mosul is known for. And yet it is Mosley delicious. <laughs> that just came out of my it, mouth. It did. It, 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 we were recording. Oh, we're we're so. keeping it. That's the end. <laughs> so if you're looking for, if you're looking it. for thoughtfully produced wines from people that are just living their lives and trying to make the best thing out there possible in their areas that are unknown or relatively undiscovered, while also holding on to, for dear life, the ethics around their choices and their intentionality. I loved what you said about the question mark versus the exclamation mark. It's, it lets you finish the story. It sounds like a, you can become a part of that story. Damn, that's aesthetics. That <laughs> might be, I might give you a royalty for Yeah, that. I know. <laughs> Take it. Because Take it. That, that's, that's it. That's my payment for this beautiful <laughs> bottle of wine, which what? we will in, include a picture of because they're, both beautiful labels, so it, right. it satisfied totally, my totally designer yeah. art. Yeah, yeah this is a, so. Th- this is yeah. This is a riesling that is full bodied, dry. It doesn't have any of the. It doesn't taste like a riesling at all. It it honestly tastes more like a chardonnay. If I'm being honest. actually, I don't like riesling or chardonnay, but it doesn't taste like <laughs> either. So I love this wine. <laughs> to me, at least, Sav Blanc. It, it shows. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't no, just judge enjoy the wine. a wine by its label, Norma. But Anyway, I found you've like, taught me how to love a Riesling, so I'm, thank you. I'm glad you found a Riesling to like this wine. <laughs> a Riesling to like this wine. Seriously. My favorite part, she started laughing, and she's like, oh, late. there's the joke. <laughs> it was a little late, guys. Yeah, there's, there's but a But I got it. It was the journey I love that it. matters. But I, I do want about to, the experience. But I, but I do want to underscore Norma something. Norma arrives more. a little late. <laughs> I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> Clearly, this room is. We've had two. It's connected. We're all a little buzzed now. I I am. I don't want to leave Norma. Leave the. No, I don't want to leave this room because we're having a good time. You said what you said was we let you finish. What is it you said? Because I want to get this on. I want to underscore this point. I think the question mark to me felt like the story's not finished, so you can be a part of it. And I love that. I can envision. The family that has this passion, which I'm looking at you and this business that you're creating and you're creating something that's generational. And because we're talking about transactional love, like this corporate experience. And then there's this familial, entrepreneurial, heart-driven experience that to me, this other side over here is so interesting because that story is still unveiling and Mm -hmm. we're a part of it, right? As a consumer, it's really enticing to be a part of a story versus just being on the other side of it. I think what tends to happen more often than not is that we actually are enjoying parts of a family story. Wines are typically smaller than we Mm. know them or mm-hmm. experience them cerebrally, right? We're like, oh, this is in a bottle, and it came to me at the store, and I like got it. But like, there's the corporate version of wine, and then there's the smaller version of wine, and I think the smaller version of wine is really more what supports everything that we talk about always here, is that it allows them to do their thing, and we get to enjoy it and support them in them doing their thing. And you get to bring those stories to us. That WineWise gets to bring those stories to a greater audience, but it doesn't necessarily take away from that mom and pop experience of the grower and winemaker themselves, right? They can still do their thing their way. And we get to experience it on our tables, in our glasses, our way, right? Yeah. And that is, that's magic. What you just said made me think of the word intimacy. Yes. That's the yes. question mark I, to me is intimacy. I feel a part of something that's intimate. I do think that like the opportunity here is that we get to have those intimate conversations across the world. Yes. At our table. Norma, my last thought here before we get back to life outside this studio. Early on, you confessed to us how you are led, how you were led by your eyes with labels, especially when there's so many labels out there, uh, an ocean, right? A wall full of bottles. How do you pick? And 
at that moment, the heuristic decision that you do, that gut check, is your eyes. You look at what draws your eyes and you make a decision for whatever reason you saw that thing, that label. Seconds. And that's, there's a, it's the superficial interaction with the wine shelf and it serves a function. It works. I wrote that down in the beginning. I was like, okay, choosing with your eyes. And I think what's happening now, I think there's a, there is a shift. It sounds so no, like I a platitude, but this, we're starting to, we're starting choose to with choose our with our heart. <laughs> Specifically in wine, it's true. <laughs> and it may be cheesy and tacky, but dad, I love it. But this dad, is called transactional love. Right. There's a heart I, on our side. I mean, choosing to, to choose. Yeah. Deciding to choose with our heart sounds corny until you realize it it's, until you realize it's not because then it's the intention behind the winemaking can't be described on a label anymore. So you're asking more about the why. How can the why appear perfectly on a label? And the, if the answer is it can't, then you are choosing with your heart or your mind, but you're not, you're no longer choosing with your eyes. I think and that I, requires I, a little bit of commitment on yeah. your end if you care to understand the stories, right? Because you're not going to get a story from a glance. Yeah. And you're going to get, you know, thousands of competing stories. So there is this responsibility that I'm looking at myself as a responsible consumer in our world. What does that mean? That, that means I have pause to understand where dollars are going. But I think from on the other end, if you're a winemaker or wine producer, whatever it is, that there is an element of first impression, right? And what is that? And how do you reach somebody so quickly in these brief moments when there's so much clutter in our world, so much to compete with? Or isn't part of the curation yeah. and that experience experience of the story it's like actually it's way more than just this label and yes and knowing that WineWise curates those bottles those stories because they are important supportive creating, worth discovering worth discovering and yeah. creating beauty beyond the bottle yeah cheers to that I think cheers that was a that. good bookend I think that's the life that I want to live in and as an importer in the wine business is that world where we choose just the way that Wendy described it Yes. Thank you for being with us. This was so inspiring. Clink. This is Wendy and Norma. We love hearing from you. Your comments, your likes, your stars, all of the things really resonate with us. So tell us what's working for you so we can continue to deliver that magic every week. This is Wendy and Norma inviting you to transact with love.